Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Curzon Film Podcast where we will discuss the highlights of the London Film Festival 2016. I'm Sam Howlett and this week I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Hi, yeah. So throughout the episode, me, Jake, as well as various people from the Curzon and Artificial Eye Head Office will discuss our favourite films at the festival this year. Should we start? Yeah, we might as well. So the uh, opening film of the festival this year was Amma Asante's United Kingdom, her follow-up to Belle. It starred David Oyolowo and Rosamund Pike. Uh, he plays the king of Bechuanaland. She plays a white woman from London. They fall in love. True story. How did you think the film played? Um, yeah, I think it's one of those films like Testament of Youth, in that people said Testament of Youth was like it's a kind of cliche mm. war romance. You think, yeah, but like that was like that was the text yeah. that generated so many films that and stories that uh, that copy were a copycat of it. That ultimately, when it kind of felt cliched when it came out, uh, we see a lot of race relations films coming out perhaps around the Oscar season, and we think, oh, it's a bit kind of twee and it's a bit gunning for awards um and i think this film managed to handle that quite well it never yeah. feels like it's kind of pandering to an audience the story feels like it's it needed to be told it feels like you're watching it and you think why don't i know this yeah definitely i thought that though there's a few films out there this year based on true stories and each time i saw one i think why don't people know about this story yeah. But that's just good filmmaking, I suppose. Well, making you believe the story really happened and making you feel like you should read more into it. I think the film's really solid. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah. It's really solid. It's not going to change the world. It's not a technical feat. It's not got the most amazing performances or most complex characters, but it's just a very, very sort of, yeah, important, fun at times, enjoyable, emotional. It's just yeah. everything you want from an opening film. Yeah, and I think I think... You say there's no standout performances. I think David Ayello is very good in it. He is very good, but I can't. I can't see this getting much awards recognition. Yeah, I mean, well, I think this is a film that's in the same kind of vein as Suffragette from last Which year. Which also opened the yeah. festival last year. Yeah, yeah, and it does. Uh, it's got, it's got star power. It's yeah. got uh, a political message. It's got a historical message. It's a period piece. It does all the things that you want out of a film at Oscar season. 
but I don't think it's too cliched in no. that fact. I think we should point out now for this and all the films that a lot of them we are going to do full shows on when they are eventually released. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're just doing these little capsule reviews, not in too much detail. Um, so yeah, we will do a full United Kingdom review when that comes out. Yeah, and um, during the festival we managed to speak to Amara Santi about the film and her previous film, Bell. Um, so I think that's around the end of November that that will yeah. be coming out, so you'll be able to listen to that. Great. So uh, we're now going to go to a person who works in the Artificial Eye Head office. Uh, this is Kate Kane, and she will talk about Heal the Living, Graduation and Manchester by the Sea. Okay, take it away. Okay, well, I have to balance it out with stuff that's ours along with stuff which I've seen which is already sold for the UK because I think that's fair. But uh, two of my favourite films of ours, we had loads of films in the NFF because we buy a lot in Cannes. Um, But Heal the Living, which we bought in Venice, which is a proper gem and it's just starting to go on their festival route, which... It's just had an amazing response from the critics and from audiences, and it's when I pitch it, you'll think no, but trust me. Okay. So it's um, it's a story about uh, organ donation, <laughs> and I realise as I'm saying it, that doesn't sound right. It's a story about uh, two families and about how you stay complete, and it's about the importance of life and all these big sort of questions but it's beautifully done mm-hmm. and we released her last film Love Like Poison actually not her last film but we did one of her previous films called Love Like Poison and she's this French filmmaker called Cattel Cavillier who she's just she's she's an emotional filmmaker and she tells stories that really affect you like everybody cried yeah. at the screening that kind of stuff she's, okay. a re- she's visceral so it starts off with this amazing surfing scene because it's like the boy at the very start and the camera sort of goes with the surfboard and you get this really energetic you know you really feel how full his life is and he's on the skateboard and doing all these things and it's beautiful and the energy's going and then it's not giving anything away to say there's this spectacular crash scene and then from there it's about his parents dealing with the grief of him being brain dead and then it goes on from there so she's really good at at moving the tone around in a way that doesn't ever feel it, that it's not it's not part of the storyline. It doesn't feel inauthentic, it, mm-hmm. but but you do feel like you go from one emotion to the other, and it's um, just a beautiful piece of cinema. And we immediately knew when we saw it in Venice that we had to buy it okay. because it's it's just fresh classic at the same time filmmaking from someone who really knows how to tell a story. So right. um, the so there's lots and lots of letters in her surname, and okay. I'm not French, so I will say okay. it wrong, but it's Cattell Cavillier, Q-U-I-L-L, and lots of other letters, but the, the French people yeah. here know how to okay. pronounce it. Um, so there's that, and that was also in Toronto, so then it's in London, yeah. and then I think we're going to release it second half of next year. Second half of 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, so that's good Yep. Yeah. Um, and then another one of ours, which we bought in Cannes, which was my favourite film in Cannes, was Graduation, which right. is the Christian Manju who did Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days, and okay. Beyond the Hills. Um, this is probably his most accessible. Um, and it's really, a, it's a critique of Romanian politics and about this whole generation who've been lost by... But, you know, all the stuff that was happening sort of 
15, 20 years ago, which means that all their ambitions and everything that they wanted to yeah. do. And so in the same way that Leviathan was this sort of allegory of, of Russian political strife, it does the same thing, but he does it in his own particular way. It's beautifully written, it's nuanced, it's it's subtle and you watch it and you just I could have watched it again I could have gone out the cinema and gone back in and watched it again because there was just so much going on but it doesn't feel you know in the way when you see a separation you're just like this is this is incredible and um, our head of press saw it the other day and he just said halfway through he was like this is this is it like this is why you work where we work because it's it's just subtle nuanced layered filmmaking that Romanian New Wave is supposed to be this big new thing now where yes. it's you know it's really on a roll and I think he's at the forefront of it wow, he's okay. there's, there was this film and then there was another film called Sierra Nevada which is by Christian Pugh which is again really talky beautifully layered but I just for me this has an extra layer this just has that it's emotional and yeah it's so basically it's about um a girl who she's a daughter and she's doing her exams just before she goes to Oxford or Cambridge University and uh, she's attacked and she breaks her arm and it makes it difficult for her to do her exams and so then there's this thing of everything hinges on this one moment for her exams and she's traumatized and the dad is trying to go through back channels in order to help her do it but it's about his ambition for her being really about replicating, about wanting a better life for her Um, and yeah it's just it's just for me it's almost perfect so yeah I loved it and so it's at the festival it was at the festival here and I know that it it's five star reviews all that kind of stuff it's it's just it's classic foreign language storytelling that's for an intelligent audience so I'm really really happy we have that great and then the final one Manchester by the Sea. Oh, okay, all right. You'll have to stop me talking about this one at some point because Manchester by the Sea is the perfect, perfect story of grief and about not exactly redemption but about how you come back from trauma. And Kenneth Lonergan is this filmmaker who I think he's made the film, like this is his film, this is his, you know, every filmmaker has one that's supposed to be your your stamp. And, And for me, He's got, in a lead, a lead actor with Casey Affleck, he's got the most, he's got these, he's got, he's the good Affleck brother. <laughs> he conveys with his eyes yeah. the sense of loss and the sense of grief and it's in his body language and it's in, you know, he goes up against Michelle Williams and he outperforms Michelle Williams. Like, it's yeah. completely natural. And so... I don't want to give too much away about what happens because the, sure. the, there's time cuts and jumps and flashbacks and all that kind of stuff but it's about how how you can come back from it and finding your family and finding your place and about how you can never really run away from mm. from your past but Ken Lonergan is someone who just puts the camera there and it, it just feels like he just happens to capture this Thing that happens yeah. but it's just in every scene so whether he's on the boat and he's playing with his nephew and his brother Carl Chandler who's in it who they have this just this spark between them and it feels like a real family and it feels yeah. like he's just on the boat with his brother and his nephew and everything's fine and then 
then you jump forward in time and then he's in a completely different place and you just and he looks like a broken man like he's you know everything about it Kenneth Lonergan is just I don't know how he does it it's like he's done he's painted different paintings and, and yeah. one looks like a Matisse and one looks like a, a Rembrandt and you know that it, it's just I don't know how he manages to get this all these different versions of one man and I wept so hard in that film all the way through but the last 15 minutes and then I sort of came out and I wanted to call my brother and tell him you know I loved him and, and you get other films like that like Tony Erdman I came out of and I called my dad and more I came out of I called both my parents you know like they when they get a phone call during a festival now they're like oh god what is it but for this one for me it's just yeah. it's it's it's, it's had five-star reviews, it's deserved five-star reviews, yeah. and I hope it becomes one of those films that people go and see in the cinema and tell their friends about, because he his last film was a complicated matter, and it didn't... It didn't, didn't get released. No, it got released, but like, two years later, yeah, and, yeah, and, okay. it, and it didn't really work, and I think it's a shame, and I just think this film is so, so good, yeah. and it's really rare to come out. The last film I felt like this was like whiplash, I think, where I just thought... This yeah. is just what cinema is, and this is why you pay to go and see a yeah. film, and this is why you feel this way. So, right. I'm sorry, I told you. I, and I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. It's one of my favourite films of the festival. Yeah. And it's really funny. It is it's funny as well, yeah. and that's so unusual. Yeah. But it's got that, it's, it's the real dynamic between them. It feels natural, yeah. and there's the, yeah. Well, because like grief and humour sometimes you find them both at the same time. Yeah. Oh, I get the giggles at funerals. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, <laughs> it sort yeah. of feels like that same Absolutely. thing. Um, so yeah, I I think, and then you know, there's other films that I saw at the festival that yeah. like La La Land, but I'm sure everybody will say La La, yeah. La Land. So I don't think it needs as much of a shout out. Whereas for me, Kill the Living, Graduation, and Manchester by the Sea are yeah. films that will get well reviewed and do have good audience reactions, but they need a push. They need a push, yeah. and and I think this is what I like about festivals. You find a gem and then you shout about it and right. say, go and see this. And so yeah. Okay, so that was Kate Kane there. I really agree with everything she said about Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, Manchester by the Sea, I thought, I think is an extremely well-made film. Yeah. Um, uh, you touched on it just at the end there. The thing that really got to me was that balance of grief and comedy yeah. and how much they go, that kind of morbid humour that you find at funerals. Definitely. And it, I was not expecting to laugh as much as I did during yeah. this film. And but I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, and it's just... It's got when I've been describing this film to so many people, and when I say, "Oh, it's about a guy whose brother dies and then he has to look after his nephew," they go, "Oh, right, okay." It does sound like something you've seen before, but trust me, it's nothing like anything I've seen before. Mm. Just in the way it deals with grief and sort of introspection, and he's Casey Affleck does an absolutely incredible performance, and it's a really great character as well, considering he doesn't really say that much. No. Uh, yes, blew me away, this film. Yeah, um, I think a nice companion piece to the Nick Cave documentary that came out earlier this year, uh, in that grief is not a seven-step program or five-step program, whatever people say, yeah. and you don't just go on this journey that everyone else goes on. It's yeah. confusing, it doesn't make sense, uh, at times it's farcical. Um, yeah, but There's no, there isn't a mourning period. Yeah. It's just it is right. what it is, and that idea of trying to pigeonhole people's grief into yeah. a specific routine uh, is just ludicrous. And I think Manchester by the Sea really captures that. Yeah. So Manchester by the Sea is out on the thirteenth of January, twenty seventeen, here in the UK. 
Uh, and there was a film that played at the festival that I really wanted to see but couldn't quite get to it, and that was Raw, which is a horror film. It won Best First Feature at the uh, Festival Awards on uh, Saturday night. Um, so I didn't see it, but Ryan Hewitt from Head Office did manage to see it, so here are his thoughts on Raw. Raw is this much-talked-about, highly-buzzed horror film from Julia DeCorno. It is in French language. It has been picked up by Universal, I believe. And it is, the thing that everyone's saying is that it's truly disgusting and gory and repulsive to look at. There's stories of people having to be mm -hmm. taken out of screenings and dry heaving in the, yeah. in the cinema aisles. And while that is certainly the case, the gore where it's there is stomach churning and everyone around me, myself included, is squirming in our seats. But it shouldn't, I don't think, be overstated. Okay. While it's there, for sure, it's not overused, it's not overdone, and when, it, it, when it's happening, it's happening for a real reason, and you're really seeing this rabid disease take over this girl. It's not sensational. It, it is sensational yeah. in that it is outrageous, yeah. and you can't quite believe it as it's happening, and you're watching this painstaking process of this girl fought, succumbing to whatever it is that's taken hold of her. But it's not constantly throughout the film. I mean, there's, there's good swathes where there's no gore at all. Yeah. It's just suggested. There are even times when the violence occurs off screen and you simply see the aftermath of it, which is nonetheless disgusting, but it's not quite so, it's not, it's, it's not gross out necessarily. Okay. It, it's, it's more consequential, I think, but it has an amazing humor to it the entire way through. Um, one of the best things I think about this film is that it is so modern in its representation of every character in that. Yeah. You've got male characters, you've got female characters, you've got chaste characters, promiscuous characters, and while we, we all know the tropes of horror movies, yeah. typically if you, if you have sex you're a goner, yeah. it doesn't follow them, okay. but it also it doesn't like fail because of that. It right. manages to subvert so many horror tropes. Yeah without losing any of its impact, which throughout I couldn't really believe it was getting away with it. Um, particularly the lead girl who doesn't entirely fit that kind of final girl mould. She is, she becomes almost predatory in her sexuality at one point, but doesn't then become a victim because of it. Okay. She, and, and the idea of what is a victim is also played around with quite a lot. There's people who fall foul of peer pressure and bullying there's this constant loom of, of camera phones and, and maybe the social media can yeah. really ruin your reputation and social embarrassment and bloodletting, there is bloodletting of course, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to die to be a victim. It's, it plays around with what a victim is okay. and I think that's really smart the way it does that and uh, the way it plays around with that. And, and also gender representations, no, every, there are guys, there are girls, they behave in different ways that are not stereotypical. Sexuality is fluid throughout everyone. It, it's really yeah. smart, it's really modern yeah. in that way. And I think it's a really, really great watch. I'd really highly recommend it to anyone. If anybody likes Ginger Snaps, the John Fawcett yes. film. The world. Yeah, Ginger yeah. And massive parallels with that film, okay. not to its detriment to yeah. any degree, because it, it does quite different things with it. But in the relationship between the lead characters, the the kind of the narrative and the consequences that come from 
this infection, if we call it an infection, there are some similarities. I think you get a real yeah. kick out of it yeah. if you're into that film. Cool. Right on my street. So <laughs> it's I'm really good to try and see it. Uh, really Ryan Hewitt, uh, Tom Raw, thank you very much for that. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, and Raw will be out sometime in 2017. It doesn't have a specific release date for the UK yet, but I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm not a big horror guy, as as we know, yeah. but that sounds absolutely mental, but really yeah. excellent as well. Yeah. So next up, we're going to have uh, Rob Kenny from Head Office talking about The Handmaiden. Uh, I saw this just after I saw Monster Calls, and it was a bizarre double bill. It, was a tri- it became a triple bill It as did well. become a triple bill as well. That was a strange day. Um... Handmaiden is Park Chan-wook's um, latest film and it's everything you want from a Park Chan-wook film. Uh, so here's Rob Kenny to talk about The Handmaiden. Hi there, how are you? Uh, I'm good, how are you? Not bad, Excellent. not bad. And you're talking about The Handmaiden, so what did you think about that? I, I, I approached this, the film screening with a huge anticipation and for once in my life I wasn't disappointed. I Excellent. thought it was absolutely awesome, Absolutely. awesome film, you know. Um, I'm familiar with uh, Park Chan Wook's previous works, and it's kind of like you know when you go when you go to see a film, there's a favourite of yours there. You know, you kind of think, please don't let me down, please don't let me down. And um, I th- I th- I was so knocked out by this film, so knocked out. It it, it reminded me when the first film of his I ever saw was uh, Old Boy, yes. and it was uh, it was on in the Edinburgh Film Festival at the time. Can't remember what year it was. Um, but I always remember it was it was the night after the opening night film, and I can't remember the the opening night film was something with you and McGregor in, and it was pretty good, you know. And the following morning, you know, um, so there was a press screening of Old Boy at nine o'clock in the morning, and somebody said you've got to see this film; it's fantastic. And I went along, and Old Boy just blew my mind at the time, and it was kind of quite a little bit. It was a little bit crazy watching it at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and I've loved his work ever since. So going along to see The Handmaiden, you know, I, I wasn't disappointed. Excellent. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I think I saw, I did a monster calls in the morning. Right. And then went straight to The Handmaiden. <laughs> and that was... Excellent double film. <laughs> Quite bizarre. I was put off at first about how long it was. But this, I think, really earned its length. But I, th- I think, you know, when, when you're watching a film and you get absorbed into the storyline, and that's the thing that, that stuck me in, it's very, very stylish, it's very kind of erotic, but yeah. the thing that I, that I came away from the film most of all was the storyline, you know, really dragged me into mm-hmm. the film. And it's kind of like one of those films where you get to the end of the film and you think, oh, wow, it was like, you know, yeah. two hours, 20 minutes, or two and a half hours, or whatever it was. Um, and the time flies by when you're that absorbed in the film. That's what I found with it. And it's, it's kind of, it's more sort of a kind of pulpy kind of um, narrative, that kind of sort of double-crossing, and it's very dramatic at times, but it's done with that his style as well. It's a nice sort of combination. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was very, very much um, Park uh, Chan-wook touches to the, to the film. You know, there was, um, you know, a colleague of mine had seen the film beforehand and she she just made reference to the octopus um, yeah. scene. And, you know, when I saw the scene where there's a, a huge octopus in a fish tank <laughs> behind the guy, I thought, oh, my Lord, we what's going to happen, you know? Um, because of kind of like associations that with with Squid, in previous films of his, yeah. um, so it was kind of like there's very, very much um, you know touches of previous films and the style of his previous films. Um, but the person that I watched it with also I, I thought made a good point, which was um, 
that she she described it as um, very kind of mainstream, but mainstream in a way of it was very approachable. It wasn't you know deep and dark, dif difficult to understand mm. kind of thing. It was kind of very approachable yes. on the surface. Um, which I thought was a really good point when I thought about it afterwards, yeah. you know. But there was definitely, very most definitely, Park Chan-wook kind of touches to the film and the style yeah. about the film, yeah. I think it's a lot more approachable and accessible yeah. than yeah. Old Boy and some of his previous works. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Old, old Boy, you know, the story there is also quite quite intricate, and, mm. and, and you know, you 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 know, you can get kind of suckered into that as well. But um, I, I I thought. Um, yeah, the story was pretty pretty um, easy to to understand yeah. and very accessible. Like you said, that's a good word, accessible rather than mainstream. Yeah, um, I, th I think, but I, mean, I think a mainstream audience would appreciate it as well as a foreign language audience. I hope so. I mean, I I, I really kind of like his work. Like I say, Old Boy was the um, yeah the first one that I ever saw, and then that made me go back and see the Vengeance mm. films and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think he's he, he's broken out as such in the way that yeah. maybe one car Y has or something like yeah. that. And I think that this is a big opportunity for him. I think that this could be the film that kind of brings him to a wider audience. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope that kind of like new people come in and find find this yeah. film. And you know, it, it's 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 a really um, kind of it's it's got so many elements to it you know there's so many aspects to the film that i think will attract people in definitely yeah. i think it deserves a rewatch as well like you can't get it all in on the first go maybe you yeah. need to go again and see what you've missed yeah yeah it's the same it's you know the same with old boy i must have watched that 10 times over the years and I, i'm quite excited about seeing the handmaiden again mm. you know I'll, I'll watch it again hopefully i'll be able to watch it pretty soon again and i'll enjoy it because I feel that there are many layers to it and some things I'll have missed the first time round of watching um, and I'll find something new every time I go back to it. And The Handmaiden will be released on the 17th of February in the UK. I really enjoyed it. It's nearly two and a half hours long but as we said just then you don't really feel it. It's got a kind of complex storyline but one that you're happy to follow you're happy to find out what's going on you don't feel like enraged or bored by it mm. and you followed that up with american honey which we were both there for yeah and that's completely different in that it's very long but it's not that complex no you're not but trying you're to find still someone, but you're just within, lost it. within it yeah yeah um and i think the handmaiden rob mentions at the end that this could potentially be a very late breakout film almost for Park Chan-wook yeah I think so because like Old Boy is one of those films where it already has its audience it's a quirky weird South Korean film that if you're going to see it you've already, if you want to see it you've already seen it whereas I think The Handmaiden has quite a story that kind of story of double crossing and kind of con artists and also like a sort of erotic thriller type thing that people will recognise and people want to see so, yeah, this could open up Park Chan-wook for a whole new audience, which would be nice. And I think um, it, it was played quite early on in the festival, as with the other two films that we're going to talk about now, that also kind of have these directors that are uh, perhaps a smaller name a few years ago. Yeah. And now it's just they're reaching that boiling point. I think so, yeah. Um, so, J.A. Biona, who I first knew about from The Orphanage, yeah. and that remains one of my favourite horror films of well the last 10-15 yeah. years 
um, and now who's going on to do Jurassic World 2 yeah. um, after doing The Impossible as well. Yeah. Um, but in between, we've got a Monster Calls, which sadly I couldn't make it, but you managed to. Yeah, uh, I saw this really early in the morning and I cried. <laughs> it's re- it's, um, it's a boy whose mother is dying and the way he deals with that is a... He sees a giant tree monster voiced by Liam Neeson come to him each night and tell him stories. It, it's got this kind of BFG type feel to it, but more emotionally intense, uh, more emotionally challenging as well. There's amazing CGI in the film as well. You wouldn't expect that from a film about a boy dealing with death. But yeah, it's incredible. And the way the stories are told to you in this sort of watercolour animation is beautiful. And like Manchester by the Sea, it's another film about how do different people deal with death. And especially this one with a boy at such a young age dealing with his mum, who's played by Felicity Jones, uh, her terminal illness. I really liked this film a lot. And I can't wait to see it again. And, and that's out on the 1st of January. Excellent. And uh, Damien Chazelle, another uh, director we've seen uh, go from that indie to mm. massive film um, rise, but in a very short space of time. I mean, two years ago, that was when Whiplash played London yeah, Festival. Yeah, played in the 2014 festival. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing that. Not th- I didn't know anything about the film, really. I knew that it was about drumming, and it had J.K. Simmons in it. That was it. And then by the end of the film, I was almost shaking, because that, that ends so sort of exciting and not like something you've never seen before. Mm. And and he, uh, he really continues that kind of last 10 minutes that okay. completely smashes it. Uh, in La La Land, I mean, the whole film is—it's just a joy. Um, the screen that I was in, it was felt like a communal experience. The uh, credits come up, and you get an opening song made up of people dressed in primary colours, all sitting in their cars that gradually start getting out of them and doing this amazing number. They finish, and the title card La La Land comes up, and 400 people in the room that I was in just burst into applause. And that's such an amazing, wow. amazing thing to have in a in a cinema experience rather than a theatre yeah. experience. But that's what La La Land is, and it's going back to that time when going out to the cinema was a theatre experience. Theatrical, yeah. yeah. And you would dress up for it, and it would be it's almost that kind of what would have been a water cooler moment mm. as well. And it is going to be that in two months' time yeah. when it comes out. It, it will come out on the thirteenth of January, same day as same weekend as Manchester by the Sea. And La La Land Oscars, can you see that happening? Definitely, it's got okay. it's got everything that the, um, the Academy normally go for. It's kind of films about films, yeah. films about Hollywood. It doesn't. It almost feels like a period piece because of how much it feels like an old yeah. film, even okay. though it's set now. And it almost takes you out of it when Emma Stone will like answer or a text or something. Yeah, you think, oh, oh yeah, this is set <laughs> now, and you do forget that. And I think that's part of of the film that it is nostalgic and it's reaching into the past and then occasionally it will draw you up on that and say nah this is this yeah. is now excellent so we've discussed two fairly mainstream films ish just then um but michael garrett uh from curls and head office he discussed two uh smaller films those were boundaries and the death of louis the 14th so here are his thoughts on those Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm great. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, so I've seen a number of films. My, uh, I, I work in the events team. My uh, selection is often uh, rather partial because it's uh, 
to do with the films that have been showing at uh, at Curzon Cinemas. Yeah. Uh, that's, I'll, I'll be kind of based at one of the venues, or I'll be kind of going between the venues. So, um, and we've had a great section of films uh, selected for uh, Curzon venues um, this year. Really wide uh, range. We've had a few of the experimental uh, films uh, selected at Soho. Uh, it's always good to get uh, get a, a breadth of of of, of the program uh, uh, represented at our cinemas. Um, uh, the films that uh, I've seen that I'd like to mention uh, that I, I, I enjoyed, the first one I saw which was shown at uh, Mayfair, it's called Boundaries, mm-hmm. um, which is a French-Canadian uh, comedy drama. Uh, which is based around um, a sort of a municipal uh, dispute uh, and the actual uh, portrayal of that municipal dispute is actually extremely detailed um, but the uh, filming of it is, is really very kind of composed and very sort of restrained and very stylish. It's got this wonderful uh, jazz uh, soundtrack um, and uh, it's sort of uh, these kind of on the face of it kind of, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, mundanity is the sort of behind it and you see something in into the people's lives uh, but it's very um, it's it's not it's not overwrought it's extremely kind of contained and I think it's a, a really uh, really uh, interesting uh, film really amazing cinematography and uh, kind of almost uh, I guess made me think somehow which is a completely different kind of film but the James Benning film Landscape Suicide uh, where you see these sorts of you know these uh, the, the, the themes of the films are very different but you, these are sort of very composed uh, images of, of landscapes and houses and you know roads and things like that but then you know what uh, what these very composed kind of very particular sort of uh, structures are actually sort of what what the mo- emotional stuff stuff uh, is is behind it, yeah. is, is behind it and uh, yeah I thought that was a really um, really interesting film really pleased to see it um, and uh, the uh, other uh, the, probably the best film I've seen so far um, at the festival um, is the death of Louis the 14th um, which is being distributed by a new wave um, directed by Albert Serra um, and stars uh, Jean-Pierre Liot, um as uh, as uh, as Louis XIV on his deathbed. Jean-Pierre Liot, of course, known uh, for his youthful performances in French New Wave films, in uh, particularly in the sixties. Um, now is yes, a seventy-year-old, and uh, he's uh, wearing these extraordinary wigs, uh, and he's in sort of a uh, almost uh, barely moves for. Uh, for nearly two hours, uh, he says a few words, and it's sort of like a very gradual decline. It's quite a interesting uh, film. I think after seeing, uh, for example, a different film about death, obviously a few years ago, was a more uh, one that's sort of like a very uh, realistic um, uh, depiction of the slow decline of of, of someone. Uh, I think that the almost setting of it with this. Uh, uh, historical figure in these very lavish kind of you know uh, outfits and so on um, uh, almost kind of makes the uh, you know the, the, the fact of this slow death you know for almost kind of more um, uh, more apparent and uh, I think that anybody who who has experienced that which is everybody um, has experienced you know someone going going through this or you know most people uh, have 
um, can really see that sort of that kind of steady decline and mm. when when is the moment going to be and and so on and this sort of uh, the helplessness of of, of the people um, uh, around uh, yeah I, I thought it was. Uh, really beautiful, really interesting use of, occasional use of music. Um, uh, there's one bit where there's a classical piece that I can never quite put a point what it is, but, um, and Jean-Pierre Liot is kind of just sat on in his bed and he's almost right. just staring beyond the camera for almost like three or four minutes and it's just a static shot barely any movement and then this sort of this music and it's sort of a I think it kind of marks like a turning point when you know that you know the, the, the point of no return but yeah I, th I thought it was that was uh, really uh, extraordinary um, and there my tips for the top yeah I think, I, yeah. I think I'll leave it at that yeah, then, yeah there are some other ones but they're the ones that I felt cool. like uh, that's, that's biggest thumbs perfect. up for yeah alright okay so that's uh, Michael Garrett thank you very much for that cheers cheers okay uh, Michael Garrett there talking about boundaries and the death of Louis XIV. Uh, Jake, you saw Eglatine. Yeah, so uh, Michael mentioned in there that it's, it was great to have something from the Experimenter strand mm -hmm. playing at um, Soho. And he's right. That is, it, although these festivals are wonderful for watching these films that are going to go and get Oscars or are yeah. going to be playing next year, there's also films that are going to be playing here that are waiting to get distribution and it could well be that a film plays at London Film Festival and that's the only time it's going to play because it is something that's more experimental yeah. and this is your chance to watch something and have an experience that perhaps no one else will have. Um, and so I went to a film in the Experimenter strand called uh, Eglantine, directed by uh, Margaret Salmon and this is a kind of children's documentary fairy tale experience um it's it's very reflexive at the beginning if it's margaret and her children um kind of trying to film a badger hole and then as they go to sleep after they finish filming for the day one of her daughters stays awake and uh, kind of goes out into the woods and explores the nature that's around there and that acts as a vessel for this kind of uh, planet Earth, but 35 mil mm. amazing uh, imagery of uh, different birds and octopuses and beetles and lots of really amazing nature footage. And um, it was a really intimate, hand-spun version of Voyage of Time. <laughs> wow. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's really worth slow. checking out. And on a completely different note, uh, we both saw Bleed for This. Yeah. On the, I think it was on a Saturday afternoon, which was quite a nice time to see it. Uh, this is probably the most mainstream film of the festival. Yeah, in terms I, I of so. Or Snowden maybe as maybe well. Maybe Snowden, but just in terms of like style, genre, content. Yeah, stars. convention. Yeah. Uh, so this is a boxing film, uh, true story, um, and it does follow the boxing film conventions. You know how it's going to end. But uh, this was a pretty good one, I thought. Uh, starring Miles Teller, um, Kieran Hines, pretty good cast. We yeah. both enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, and the boxing film is, um, it's almost gone the way of the Western as well. Yeah, it's um, definitely. And so you, we've had recent stuff like Grudge Match or Southpaw, yeah. which people just said... What's the point? Yeah. Like it's the same thing over and over again. And then 
Creed earlier this year or late last year um, really injected something new into yeah. that and Bleed for This manages to sort of tread that line of convention but comes out okay on the other side yeah there's some nice stuff about the body in the film mm. as well and injury and there's some uh, moments that are, you're quite uncomfortable watching yeah I mean there's some proper body horror stuff yeah, in there definitely uh, so yeah, it's Bleed for This. That's going to be out on the 2nd of December. Um, really fun, really enjoyable film. And then uh, I saw Nocturnal Animals, the latest uh, Tom Ford film starring Amy, Ad- Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, this one has a very strange premise where Amy Adams is an artist in LA and she receives a manuscript for a novel from her ex-husband. And he says, "I this book is sort of inspired by you. I want you to read it first. And so... She starts to read the book, and then the middle part of the film is the visualisation of the book, and every now and then it cuts out to real life. Um, and she starts to think, maybe there's he's trying to tell me something through this book. Uh, I think it's not quite... isn't quite hold up to that premise, because that's a real, really great premise, I thought. And at times it feels like there's two very good films that have been slightly uncomfortably pushed together. Um, but it's a Tom Ford film, so it looks incredible. Amy Adams and Jack Gyllenhaal, are, it's, it seems standard to say they're very good, but they are in here really have doing great performances. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, I just wished maybe narratively it was a bit tighter and it had a bit more to do with those two narrative strands, but yeah. that's going to be out on the 4th of November, so very soon. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to watching that because I, I couldn't yeah. get air in time to watch this because I know it was a very busy show as well. It's definitely intriguing. Okay. Uh, I recommend watching it because I think a lot of people do like it and I think a lot of people will like it. Uh, it's just for me, those two things didn't quite work together, but... There's a lot in there to like, anyway. Okay. Uh, so next up, we have uh, Ali Clow from the Curzon Hill Office, and he's going to be talking about Ascent, Arrival, and A Quiet Passion. Hello, Sam. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. So uh, what's uh, really taken you back this year at the London Film Festival? What are your highlights? Um, well, I've been lucky enough to see quite a few films this year, but um, I'd say I've got three highlights. Um, the first being a film called Ascent, Mm-hmm. Uh, by Fiona Tan and it's a sort of uh, a photo uh, film essay about um, visual representations of Mount Fuji in Japan and 
it's really a film which is sort of a, a mood poem almost to that uh, particular um, that particular place, and it consists of a series of you know images, of pictures, of photographs, of paintings of Mount Fuji, and how that that uh, you know that. Um, monument has affected and has impacted on the sort of culture and the people uh, of Japan, and it sorts you know you get montages of photographs, you get um, it's always still. There's there's no sort of moving images as such. So it's it's kind of a strange film because there's not many. Well, there's not any as far as I remember moving images. It's a selection of stills, but in that regard, it's very arresting because. It's not like anything you normally watch in, mm. on the big screen, um, and there's a, a sort of overarching narrative between a man and a woman who are sort of neither addressing each other nor are they sort of two separate either. It's a bit like Hiroshima Mon Amour, mm. the Alan Rene film, which is actually um, sort of talked about briefly in the film, and. Yeah, you just go in and you've sort of got to be in the right mood for it. a film like that. I mean, I love sort of these essay films, which are sort of a, a very sort of thin, slight, but overarching narrative on what the film is trying to say. Uh, there's not a plot as such to the film, just some sort of slowly seeping arguments as to the, the themes of the film. Um, but that was really, really good. Cool. Um, um, my sort of second choice is film called Arrival, yep. which is going to be a very, very big film, I think. Um, it's sort of a, a, a bit like a sort of Christopher Nolan blockbuster. Denis Villeneuve uh, directs, who's done Sicario, Prisoners, Enemy from uh, our very own Curzon Artificial Eye stable. And it's sort of got all the blockbustery elements of modern day uh, sort of films. It's a sci-fi. It's got uh, star power, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. And the main premise is the world has uh, not been taken over, but there has been 12 alien pods that have landed mm. throughout Earth. And all the sort of, the, the nations affected, their militaries and their sort of secret police, etc., are now trying to investigate these alien pods and trying to sort of communicate with them as to why they're here. And Forrest Whitaker plays a high-ranking military officer and his two experts that he chooses to try and get real knowledge and information from these pods are um, Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams, who plays uh, sort of one of the world's leading experts on language. And what follows is a really, really innovative uh, journey into, you know, if aliens did really come down to Earth, how would we communicate to them? What language would they use? Mm. Do they use words? Do they use sounds? In this instance, um, they use visuals and these very, very arresting uh, sort of pieces of art almost, um, which Amy Adams sort of tries and is able to then uh, comprehend and try and pass the knowledge up to her superiors. Um, and it, yeah, as I say, it's got all the hallmarks of a great sort of modern day Chris Nolan blockbuster, very beautiful images, an amazing sound design, um, great, great acting by the, the three leads. And it was just great. And I, I think it will do really, really well, especially for, for Cars and Cinemas when it gets released. Excellent. And uh, did you want to talk about Quiet Passion? Yeah, uh, but 
Perhaps my favourite film of the festival that I've seen is Terence Davis's A Quiet Passion. Um, Terence Davis seems to be in a bit of a renaissance period at the moment. He was, you know, a real sort of British author or director um, in the 80s and 90s and sort of, you know, took a bit of time off. Uh, returned a few years ago with of Time in the City, a well-regarded um, sort of, again, essay film on his hometown of Liverpool. Since then, Deep Blue Sea, Sunset Song, uh, these great films rooted in a, in a certain period and A Quiet Passion is also a period piece uh, sort of dealing with the life of the American poet Emily Dickinson. And much like a lot of Terence Davis's work, we've got um, sort of an artistic firebrand of a person sort of constrained by their social conditions, uh, by their uh, the sort of religious uh, culture of that time, by the a familial culture of that time, really controlled by the, the sort of uh, a paternal uh, or a patriarchy, should I say. Mm. Um, but he treats, uh, he treats the subject with great respect. So regardless of um, who thinks about what and, and if someone is very, very pious or if someone is very, very free, the cinema of Terence Davis tends not to judge uh, he just lets the characters sort of express what they need to express. So um, Emily Dickinson doesn't necessarily come off as heroic for the type of person she is, nor does she come off as particularly lost or forlorn. Um, but her increasing sort of reclusivity is addressed, um, and it's sort of um, you, you know, is she is she more of a poet than she is uh, devoted to her family? You know. Emily Dickinson, the poet, or Emily Dickinson, the the sort of part of the family, the cog of the family that keeps it going. Mm. These things are never sort of wholly closed off. Um, great performances by Cynthia Nixon as Emily Dickinson and uh, Jennifer L as her uh, sister. Um, and it's again like Sunset Song, very very beautifully shot. I think it was shot in the original home of Emily Dickinson in New Hampshire okay. and it's got a real great period feel to it. It uses a mix of sort of uh, European classical composers music with sort of Charles Ives, really amazing sort of American folk classical music to really delve into that period feel um, and yeah it sort of blew me away. I was speaking to a few people after the screening likewise they were very moved by it so um, yeah I really hope that will do well and it's picked up as well. Okay, and we can expect arrival on the 10th of November. Is that when we can expect it to arrive? Ah! And then A Quiet Passion will be out on the 18th of November. Got a pun for that one, have you? Uh, no, but I think Ali's delightful tones were <laughs> quietly passionate oh, okay. about it. Very good. Jake, what did you see? <laughs> uh, right so going on from something very small like a quiet passion to something impossibly big mm -hmm. um which is terence malick's voyage of time uh and i saw the version entitled voyage of time life's journey uh but there is also voyage of time the imax experience uh these are two uh, different films um, one is 90 minutes long one is 40 minutes long mm -hmm. uh, the 90 minute version that I saw is narrated by Kate Blanchett and the shorter IMAX version is narrated by Brad Pitt this is a very much a passion project for Malik he's um, 
been working on it since he started Badlands, really. Uh, this is a documentary about everything. That's it, really. It's the beginning to the end of the universe. Um, and in an hour and a half, I think that's a pretty impressive yeah. feat. I know you're definitely a Malik skeptic. I am. Sam. I just think it's so Maliky to think you can make a documentary about everything. Yeah. But apparently it worked. Yeah, so. I think it really worked. The thing that didn't work for me was the Kate Blanchett narration. Um, he layers on uh, verbal poetry okay. uh, onto the film that has no need to be there because the music and the visuals work for themselves. And okay. we all know he loves his narration. Yeah. Um, but for me, it didn't need to be there. It's very on the nose. The message that of this this kind of astounding beauty of nature uh, that comes through in the dialogue it doesn't need to be there because the images that he creates are so stunning and so kind of take you back that Mm. it just doesn't need to be there and it is the best looking film um, that I've seen this year Uh, it is beyond belief how good these images are they're so crisp and sharp and you have no idea where the CGI is coming in there's some stuff that almost looks like miniatures that look like ink being dropped in water to create galaxies. But you're astounded by the creation of the images along with the images themselves. It's um, a really, really amazing film. And I'm going to definitely check out the IMAX version as well. That has to, Brad Pitt. Yeah, because I wonder how whether they differ the narration and whether that will be a different experience. Okay. Uh, also this year, uh, one of the big talking point films of the year, uh, possibly for the wrong reasons, is um, Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation, uh, which is the sort of passion project from Nate Parker, who wrote, directed, produced and stars in the film as Nate Turner, who was a, sl- a slave in the South of America in the uh, 1800s, who led a slave rebellion against the white slave owners. Um I overall I I liked the film. I think that it's very conventional. It's uh, it relies a lot on emotional manipulation. Um and someone described it to me as Braveheart with slaves, which I think I agree with. But there's a there's moments of power in there that really overwhelm you in a good way. Um so for me overall it was I'd say it was a very good film, if not a bit sloppy in its um, storytelling and its characterization. And he does do certain, he makes certain narrative choices that I won't go into now that I think, I don't know why you've done this because it's it's changed the film in an unnecessary way in certain points. But I think as a debut feature, it's fairly, it's successful, um, if not a bit generic at times. Uh, so next up, we have Irena talking about Patterson, which you saw. Yeah, Patterson um, is one of like my top, top highlights of the festival. Mm-hmm. And Irena will speak far better about it than I will. Mm-hmm. I, I admit I don't know a huge amount about poetry. Um, I, I know a little bit. I know the Jabberwocky. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the first verse of it Adam Driver plays a bus driver slash poet named Patterson in this town of Patterson and it's very Jarmushi it's very slow Never, it doesn't really change its pace at all, there's little drama in it um, and I think the massive achievement 
in the film is having a character who is a poet that is not completely insufferable. Uh, okay, so here is Arena talking about Patterson as well as uh, Javier Dolan's It's Only the End of the World and Paul Verhoeven's L. Oh, hello. Hi. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. So uh, what were your highlights from LFF 2016? So my highlights, um, there's sort of three top films that have really impressed me. Um, first one is Patterson, which is a really mm-hmm. easy film to love because it's very gentle um, on the surface. Uh, still waters do run very deep in this film. Um, it's got a really kind of gentle watercolour-like um, aspect to it and it's a, a very soft, sweet story. Um, but I think there's a lot of it that's behind the surface underneath um, and it's it's really a return to form from Jim Jarmusch. I really loved Only Lovers Left Alive but yeah, it's, the yeah, it, it was a while since I'd seen a Jim Jarmusch film that really felt like a Jim Jarmusch film back to you know his top quality. Um, it's a film that fans of American poetry would love mm-hmm. um, but I also had this experience of um, sitting next to a friend and colleague who didn't know any of the poets who were referenced in the film and he loved it just as much as I did who I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with Frank O'Hara, William Carlos Williams, many of the poets that are referenced in the mm-hmm. film. Uh, it's kind of a little blue collar story. There's a lot in it that reminded me of my absolute hero, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> as I'm sure you will find out when you read my piece on the Curzon <laughs> magazine. Um, and I think it's really one of my contestants for the film of the year. Wow. Um, so straightforward five stars from me, or rather five blue hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, Adam Driver. Adam Driver in the lead um, and um, yeah it's a superb performance from him it's very rich very subtle Uh, there's a lot of it again that is not um, explained uh, but you can really um, there's a a lot that Jarmusch does to set up the character and Mm -hmm. you can really figure out a backstory for this character if you're interested so it's really it's really hard to describe this film without using the word poetic because the work of it is really about making sure that the surface is very accessible and very okay. simple but what's underneath is layers and layers and layers and it's the same with his character so okay. it's fascinating Excellent. Um, my other two picks are kind of two much more difficult films to yeah. talk about um, <laughs> one is uh, Xavier Dolan's It's Only the End of the World which was very weirdly panned uh, at its Cannes premiere uh, I say very weirdly because um, I think that people have chosen to sort of ridicule the fact that he's so young and so talented. Yeah. And it's, it's really easy to go for that, um, slamming someone who's trying to do something very ambitious. Um, and I think he really does display a great directorial uh, sort of um, fingerprint over the whole film. The story is uh, about this writer who has been estranged from his family for quite a long time. He's quite young. There are reasons why he's estranged from his family, which are not immediately apparent, but he does reveal in the very first opening moment of the film that he's going home to tell his family that he's dying. Right, okay. Um, Quite why or how remains uh, a thing for people to discover or to indeed have ideas about. Um, And what follows is this very, very intense 24 hours with his family where they have this meal which is a kind of trademark artificial eye uh, film uh, dinner party where people really bring on the hatred and the intensity um, and the whole film is kind of 
shot with incredible command. The dialogue is very, very tight. It's an adaptation from a, a theatrical script, from a okay. play, and it really does show there's a lot of overlapping uh, dialogues and it's orchestrated very, very well. And it's all shot in close-ups, uh, which means that you are really thrown in mm. uh, very intensely, very deeply into this uh, conversation that you're experiencing. Um, and eventually, because underneath all of this is a secret that needs to be revealed, yeah. there is an explosion. But whether that explosion does become revelatory or not right. okay. is very questionable. So I think it's, it's, a very, um, it's a film that has great impact on the viewer. Yeah. And it's a hard watch, but it's fascinating. It's um, a pure talent of work. Uh, and I, I would watch anything that Xavier Dolan will yeah. continue to do, as indeed I've watched everything that he's done so far. Excellent, that sounds great. Yeah, and then finally, um, another film I really, uh, God, enjoyed, is that the right word? <laughs> I am not sure, um, is uh, L by Paul Verhoeven. Um, possibly the most controversial film of the festival, most controversial film of next year, I, I'd be not surprised. Um, it's uh, a film that I didn't know anything about going yeah. in. I just knew it was, yeah, hashtag problematic. Um, and it is a rape revenge comedy, uh, if such a thing can exist. Now, the crucial word in all of this is not rape or comedy, it's revenge. Okay. Uh, and revenge, as we know, is best served in certain very particular ways. And I think that this film really hooks on to this idea of what do you do when you have been the victim of something so extreme mm. and so terrifying and you discover something about it and about yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's an incredibly brave film. Uh, Isabelle Huppert is the main character um, in it. And she is, as we know, fantastic in these roles where she's kind of a woman pushed to uh, very extreme situations, yeah. particularly where sexuality is involved. But also she's someone who's always very much in control of her characters and the direction they take. And that really shows in this film. There are some genuine laughs. Uh, I mean, it. it I would hugely recommend seeing this film in a packed cinema right. because I think you really need those laughs to understand what Verhoeven is trying to do. Okay. Um, there are also some incredibly shocking moments. I mean, this film should have trigger warnings all over it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it is explicit, it's violent, and uh, it, it sort of uses thriller and shock horror techniques to keep you on your toes, to remind mm. you that this is this may be funny at times, but actually, there is something within it that yeah. is very deep and disturbing again. So it, it's a really, um, it's a film I'd invite people to go and see, uh, provided that they don't have a problem with the premise okay. to begin with, which I can see is tough yeah. and difficult. But I think there's, there's a very intelligent filmmaker at work there. Um, and it's really worth having a conversation about it. Right. Is it a return to form for other film, do you think? Or... I don't know that he's ever been out of form. <laughs> I mean, in his own peculiar ways. Yeah. He is, um, I think, a much more sophisticated director than people assume. And um, uh, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Okay. And when he's being trashy, there's a reason why yeah. he's being trashy. So um, I enjoyed Black Books, which was one of his recent films. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's something that fans of that film will find here. Okay. Um, but also it's kind of a, 
It's sort of very often trying to do Hanukkah, if you can imagine such a thing. Wow, okay. uh, so there's a lot in it about um, a sort of critique of the middle classes or the darker sides of the French bourgeoisie. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot of references to Buñuel too, uh, which I always appreciate in a filmmaker. So yeah, welcome back, Paul Verhoeven. Excellent, that sounds like a must watch. Um, okay, great. So, Irena, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so there we go, that was Irena uh, talking about Patterson, which was released on the 25th of November. It's Only the End of the World, which is released on the 14th of April, and then L, which is released on the 24th of February. Uh, coming up in a few weeks' time, we're going to be talking about Anne Fontaine's The Innocents, which, which I saw last week at the festival. Uh, we've got an interview with her. Uh, the Innocents is about a Red Cross doctor in Poland in 1945, just after the war, who discovers a convent of nuns where some of the nuns are pregnant. Um, and uh, you find out why they're pregnant and then she eventually comes to look after them. A uh, really amazing film, devastating and beautiful. It's a lot of it sort of uh, shot in the sort of snowy winters of uh, Poland. Really amazing visuals. And we've got an interview with We have an interview. I interviewed Anne Fontaine as well for that, yeah. So that'll be a good week. Uh, she had a lot to say about the film as well, which is always good. Uh, and then I also saw Christine. So Christine stars Rebecca Hall as uh, Christine Chubbick, who was a news reporter in the 70s who committed suicide live on television. Uh, it's a true story. Again, this is one that I feel like more people should have heard of. But mm. it was completely new to me. I think perhaps it's a bit more known in America. Yeah, possibly. Um, so this was a yeah, relatively small film, but I mean, really cynical film. Uh, but that is not a criticism at all. I thought the film was pretty extraordinary um, in its discussion of sort of femininity and sort of women in the workplace and things just like the shattering of the American dream for certain people. And Rebecca Hall's performance is ex absolutely extraordinary. She doesn't try too hard to sell Christine as a likeable character or as too much of a victim either. Uh, it's a really nice balance. And I hope the film is released in time for Oscars because I think she really deserves one. Yeah, um, Rebecca Hall is always kind of been on that cusp of something Yeah, great. she was launched in The Prestige, I think was her big film. And then she's kind of teetered around I mean even when she's been in things like Iron Man 3 yeah. she's not really had much to do Transcendence yeah Transcendence I mean she was very good in The Gift yeah I thought but again not many people saw that no so I'm hoping this could pique a lot more people's interest in her career because mm. she does an absolutely extraordinary job here excellent um, and that kind of uneasiness um, takes us nicely into um, Oliver Assayas's, um personal shopper which is another collaboration with Kristen Stewart. Mm -hmm. And this, I was really, um, really taken aback by. I thought this was excellent. I shamefully had um, gone up that morning and I'd kind of just drawn a blank on what Personal Shopper was about. I kind of had it in my head that this was uh, Kristen Stewart in some kind of comment on fame and celebrity and consumerism and that kind of detached nature. That's what I assumed it would be as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the film starts, this is like nine o'clock in the morning as well, and she's walking up to these gothic gates, and so is this, this is the film I'm thinking of, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
and then the words personal shopper come up in massive red letters and then I just suddenly had it all come back to me it's like oh yeah it's that horror film (laughs) okay of course um yeah and then we kind of get her going up to this big empty house that was of for uh, her dead brother's house and you get this kind of Michael Haneke haunted house feel kind of flavors of the witch in terms of what is real and Mm -hmm. what's not and you get these really tense um, moments of texting. Uh, if if you're a fan of the sound effects of iMessage, this is the real film for you. Like, there's a lot of that just... Whoop. Well, fi- finally. Yeah. I've been searching for ages. Yeah. Uh, just There's good kind of 20 to 25 minutes where the main focus of the film is Chris and Stuart's hand texting. So, top stuff. For yeah. hand, hand fans, iMessage fans, and ghost fans. So, uh, speaking of Kristen Stewart, she also starred in um, Kelly Reichardt's latest film, Certain Women, which Kate Garover is going to discuss for you now. But before that, she also talks about Letters from Baghdad. So this is uh, Kate Garover, our last visit to Curzon Head Office. Okay, and we are now joined by Kate Garover. Uh, so, Kate, what are your highlights from LFF 2016? Um, well, I've seen a lot of the big movies, mm-hmm. as is always the way with LFF, the ones that have queues around the door, um, yeah. including La La Land. But what's great about the festival are all the sort of smaller gems that you can find. And uh, I didn't get into one film that I wanted to see. And it so happened that the producer was hanging around one of the cinemas and she said, well, come and see my film. And so I said, <laughs> OK. And um, that was Letters from Baghdad. And I had almost, uh, I really didn't have a, a great deal of uh, knowledge of what the film was about. And it's about this woman called Gertrude Bell, who obviously sounds like she should be part of the Virginia Woolf set. And I think she was around that time. And she was this incredible pioneering woman who shaped modern Middle East after the First World War. And um, she basically uh, grew up in a very privileged family Mm -hmm. and then uh, went um, on holiday and ended up in sort of Iraq. I presume that's what you did in the sort of 20s, I don't really know. um, But she really fell in love with the Middle East. Um, She had a couple of sort of love affairs that left her with a broken heart and basically ended up sort of devoting her life to the Middle East and and, um, living there and being very influential in how it was sort of shaped uh, with the king coming in and she was quite uh, influential with people like Winston Churchill um, and uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, who wrote Lawrence Arabia, yeah. man Lawrence. <laughs> Um, and um, so she was very much kind of admired and there's lots of photos a lot of footage and photos of her sort of atop sitting on top of camel and it's just her the lone woman with Mm. like kind of loads of other men so it's really a sort of essay reconstruction documentary and with loads of great photography from that time I thought that it was wonderful in the way that it took you back to this era and how sort of modern she was and how brave she was. And also, I think it's a kind of, for me personally, I think that there are so many pioneering women's stories that are not told on screen. And so it made a kind of really welcome and enjoyable, refreshing change. Excellent. Right. Um, I also saw... um, Certain Women by mm-hmm. Kelly Reichardt. 
love Kelly Reichardt. I think once you find her, um, she is somebody that then is a director that is very much admired. Um, so she has sort of her kind of Reichardt groupies. And uh, Certain Women are is a film and it's based on some short stories and I don't think I've ever quite seen short stories translated to the screen in their purest form, mm-hmm. i.e. you feel like the short story is just like you're reading yeah. it on screen in a way. And all three tales are about different women at different points in their lives and uh, they're about loneliness. Um, I think they're all actually about loneliness. I think that's kind of the defining yeah. theme. And it's very hard to sell in a Kelly Reichardt film because it's not a traditional narrative. It's not so linear that you can say, this is it, here's the story arc, here's how it finishes. But in its whole, it's a beautiful, restrained piece of filmmaking that speaks volumes in its quietness. Okay. Uh, certain Women There, which won Best Film, the festival? I think it probably deserves a rewatch from me because I had literally just seen Manchester by the Sea and I was so knocked back by that. But yeah. then to see this, which is so subtle and so quiet and relaxed, it was quite a difference. Yeah, Manchester by the Sea really affected my viewing as well because I watched La La Land and was yeah. then totally ready to go into Manchester <laughs> by the Sea and like ready to cry my eyes out. But La La Land had me on such a high, high mood. Yeah. yeah, Manchester by the Sea just kind of levelled me out. I see, I see. So finally, we're going to talk about the last film, the closing film of the festival, and this is Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Uh, this is a film I've been looking forward to seeing for ages. It's great being a Ben Wheatley fan because he produces and directs so many films closely together that there's not a lot of time to wait around. Yeah, and there's a lot of parallels between our experience now and exactly what we were doing a year ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, we're watching, we watched High Rise. We got in kind of last minute. Yeah. And then it was actually about five months before we actually could the ch- had the chance to see the film again. Yeah. And for you, that film really shifted on that. Yeah, when I first saw High Rise last year, I thought it was a fine piece of filmmaking. Very messy. Very all over the place. I didn't care about the characters at all, really. And I thought, yeah, that was okay. And the seeing it again, when it was, was it March or April it was re- released? I think uh, it's end of March. Maybe. Yeah, publicly. I thought it was amazing. It's definitely in my top ten of the year. Um... So that's, yeah, that's the benefit of, I guess, uh, seeing something then having a nice break from it mm. and, and then going again with different expectations. And then we got into Free Fire. The queue for Free Fire for the for the press screening was incredible. I think I, we, I just about... Mm. I think it, it really. was the only pressure of that day at that time. Yeah, so exactly. it was the thing that every, every single was person was going to. So yeah, Free Fire is a world away from High Rise in terms of its scale and yeah. its themes um, whereas that was a very sort of heady adaptation of a J.G. Ballard novel uh, with, which was so layered and intricate this is a shootout yeah I think this film is excellent I really loved it I hadn't seen any of the trailers which I mm-hmm. feel like may have benefited me I think it probably did um, I knew it was a gun trade gone wrong in Boston yeah, that's all I knew, um, and I knew the cast members, and so I was really excited because the cast is phenomenal: Charlotte Copley, Killian Murphy, Michael Smiley, Brie Larson, mm. Enzo Calenti, um, Jack Rayner. Yeah, Jack, it just—it's fantastic, fantastic yeah. cast, um, and I just had an an absurd amount of fun with this film. 
I think that's... I'm going to try not to be mistaken for disliking this film because I did really like it. I think it's the most fun you're going to have in a film around whenever this is released. This is released 31st of March. I can't so on the of... weekend, this is the most fun you'll have in the cinema <laughs> on the weekend of the 31st of March next year. I mean, around that time, I can't think of anything that could possibly equate to this in terms of just sheer enjoyment. Yeah, uh, It's a perfect 90 minutes. Um, if you love action films, you'll love it. If you don't, I think you'll still enjoy it. Oh yeah, it's funny enough that you yeah. don't... like The the gunshots are done really well. Yeah. Like the, like he, like Ben Wheatley said so many times about the way that he makes films is that when other people cut away, he will leave the camera camera going. Yeah, and that's what you have here. You see them just hitting walls rather than each other. Um, So my reservation with Free Fire was that I had seen the trailers, I knew what the film was, I knew it was a gun uh, sale gone wrong, and the whole film was pretty much set in this one building, and it was a shootout. And I knew that it was going to be that. I thought, oh, that's going to be really fun. Maybe not too challenging or too there's not gonna be a lot to talk about afterwards but it's gonna be a lot of fun and i went in with that expectation and for me that's all i got yeah which isn't a bad thing but for me it is just a fun shootout film yeah i suppose when we watch trailers and posters and things now we kind of get you want that to be a tease and then the final product gives you something more you want it to be more for me there wasn't much more than what i thought yeah and it, it at times i thought it was a little bit of a tarantino impression I don't think that at all. No. I just think you've got a bunch of over-exaggerated criminals in a room shooting each other. Where there's so there's there's extreme violence and also snappy, smart dialogue. But Tarantino will have like people's faces explode for no reason, and people f- like fly everywhere. And on this, when people get shot, it's just like oh god, like they've just been shot, and they don't really mind that mm. much, and they just kind of drag themselves across the floor and everyone is just on the floor they've been shot in the leg or the shoulder and they're just like grubbily trying to pull themselves around and it's really unglamorous which is I think the polar opposite of the way that Tarantino shoots violence yeah there's just something so Reservoir Dogs about parts of the film just because it's a warehouse well I think that's unavoidable yeah and that's not I like Tarantino and I like Reservoir Dogs and this was a very good Companion piece. And I said to you um, after we watched it that Ben Wheatley probably would have been around exactly, what, yeah. 20, 25 when, this would have, yeah. when Reservoir Dogs would have been coming out. Yeah, so this isn't a criticism of the film. It's just my way. I, just don't, I don't see it as being a major point of Ben Wheatley's career. Is it, do you think it's exactly the sum of its parts? Exactly, yeah, it's, it's exactly what it wants to be and exactly all it is is what it needs to be and what it wants to be. Yeah. And I think he probably maybe isn't trying to do anything more than be a fun shootout Tarantino-esque film. Mm. And I think after High Rise, which is such a heavy... Exactly, yeah. Um, and because he makes films, seems like he makes films so quickly, it's probably quite nice to have one that's so simple. Yeah. And I think a lot of the credit has to be given to the production management on yeah. this film because it is to figure out where everyone needs yes. to be in this because people are and constantly moving around the warehouse to maintain continuity as well yeah yeah. so I know Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump edited it they together do, yeah. which um, I think helps if you've written it and directed it and then go on to edit it you're so in that film you know exactly where everyone is yeah and I think that helps because it, it could easily be really confusing but you do actually you can tell who's on whose side yeah. and when and the characters are part of that confusion because they accidentally shoot each other as yeah, well definitely yeah. uh, big shout out to Charlotte Copley Steals who it. 
absolutely choose the scenery mm. and he must have a very sore jaw after this film uh, he is an amazing character yeah. but he's the character that you expect Charlotte Copley to play and that's why I think the film is it matches your expectations rather yeah. than um, pushes them definitely and it's a strange film for the festival to end with we were saying yeah because um, last year we opened with Suffragette closed with Steve Jobs yeah. Uh, you have kind of big actory biopic yeah. that's going for Oscars. Yeah. Free Fire is, I think, actually, in some sense, a nice way to end because it's oh, just definitely. a big bit of yeah. fun. Yeah, that's that's what you want from the end of a film. Yeah. So what you get with United Kingdom is a very grand film to open you in, and but also kind of grand, but also kind of soft. Mm. Um, whereas Free Fire is quite harsh and hard, but fun. Mm. So yeah, they're quite a nice bookend in a way. Right, so that's it. The end of the festival, the end of our reviews. Um, we're just going to end with our favourite film of the festival. So start with you. I'm going to be really uncool. It's La La Land. Yeah? Yeah. It's, it is just, for me, it's the, it's the best film I've watched this year. And it's, it's just a complete joy. I really, I'm quite annoyed I didn't get a chance to see it at the festival. But it is quite nice having the anticipation leading up to when it's out. And I hope it it does that for me what it did for you yeah uh, the, my favourite film was Manchester by the Sea I think it's got to be because it was just it's so perfect in everything that it does and every every performance every little shot every time you sort of see parts of where it's set the Manchester in America it's a really nice addition to all the characters and their feelings but another big shout out to Handmaiden which was really fun yeah yeah, um, I think there's so many on there. I, I, oh yeah, I, I didn't just... see anything that I hated. No, everything was I, w- I would recommend to someone. Yeah, and I think there'll be a lot there that I'll be watching again when they come out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's quite nice that most of the things that are released at the end of this year or the beginning of next year still will be out soon. So uh, we're going to have a shout out to a big thank you to uh, the seven people at the Curls and Artificial Eye head offices. That was a big help lending us their voices. So you didn't just hear us drone on for an hour or so. Yep. Um, thanks a lot to the BFI for yeah, putting this festival on. Absolutely. Um, Claire Stewart, who joined us on the uh, podcast yep. as well a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was great to have her on. Okay. Uh, so that's it for this year. Hopefully we'll be back next year with some more uh, London Film Festival Roundup stuff. So that's a goodbye from Jake. Goodbye. That's goodbye from me. Goodbye. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.